Thanks for joining us online today. If you'd like to join the conversation, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope that you'll enjoy this message. to our final installment of our series, The Key to Everything. It's hard to believe that this is part five of our Key to Everything series. It is based around uh, so many of the concepts that are in uh, my the book that I released just a month or so ago called The Key to Everything. And of course, as you know, if you've been hanging around at all or uh, participating in one of our services, you know that the big concept we've been talking about is teachability. And I actually had a really, really cool thing happen last weekend at our plantation campus. Uh, after service, I was signing some books and just interacting and high-fiving and talking to people. And a woman came up, and she actually uh, wanted me to, to sign of the book for her husband, who is deployed, who's stationed uh, overseas with our military. And uh, just a powerful moment as we thanked her and, and you know, thanked her husband. And, and I couldn't help but think that not only are we a, a video teaching church in terms of here in Southwest Florida with our plantation campus all weekend long and our, our gateway campus, but, but to think now with our online services, you guys, think about this. We have the ability to influence people to the four corners of the earth. And here's what I know. I know that there are servicemen and women right now who are stationed in other parts of the world and you're participating in one of our online services. So with Veterans Day approaching this week, you guys, come on, can we just put our hands together this weekend? Let's just thank God for every single person who is serving or has served in our military. Thank you. Thank you. We, we enjoy the benefits of being in a free nation and we are so grateful for you. Well, as I mentioned, this is part five of our Key to Everything series. And you guys, I, I want to start by making a confession. I have a confession to make this weekend, and the confession I have to make is, I think I want to be a race car driver when I grow up. <laughs> like, for real, and maybe this is because I turned 40 this year, and I'm like some midlife crisis thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a man thing, and every man goes through a season of their life where they want to be a race car driver. I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, I, I have grown up, you know, every Memorial Day for 30 years now. My family and I have eight seats on, on the 40 rows up on the front straightaway, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we go to the greatest, you know, sporting spectacle in the world, the Indy 500. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know why, why it is, but I I, I honestly, I, and I've been telling my wife, and she's, she ain't warming up to the idea yet, but you got, pray, come on, men, pray for me. I'm just telling you, okay? I, I, actually, I know why it is. So a couple of months ago, uh, our family was having family night on Friday night. We went to dinner, and then we went over to GameStop, where you buy video games, you know, and, and so my kids are just kind of milling around in there, whatever. So I haphazardly 
walk up to the guy at the counter and I go, hey, I got a question for you. You got any of those race car games? And I said, now listen, here's the deal. I ain't paying 60 bucks for your game, okay? But if you have one that's like five or six years old, I'm interested. He goes, I know exactly the game for you. What kind of unit do you have? And so I told him, you know, what my son's gaming unit is, whatever. And he goes, here, and he digs around. All of a sudden he goes, here, here's this one. It's the best one out there. And it's last year's blah, blah, blah model, whatever. It's $6. Okay, next level, just got to be honest with you. Best $6 I ever spent in my life. So for the last like two months, my son Drew and I have been driving race cars as fast as we possibly can. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Now, here's what we learned. We learned that the fastest way to get around the track is to never let off the gas. Like you just, you just keep your thumb, your finger, whichever one, you just, the tri- you just let on the gas. And even when you're going in a corner where you're supposed to let off and coast or hit the brakes, you know, whatever, uh-uh, that's not the fastest way to go around the track. Not in this world, not in this game. You just keep the accelerator to the floor and you just go and you just crash and then you take off again. You just never let off the gas. That's how you win. At least according to my 12-year-old and I, okay? So, so here's the deal. I got to thinking about this in light of this whole teachability thing. And what I started to realize is when it comes to teachability in our life, that if it's true, and we believe that it is, that us having a a spirit, uh, developing a lifestyle of teachability is the key to reaching our full creative potential that God created us for, that if that's true, then isn't it interesting? I got to thinking to myself how there are some people who let off the gas, concerning teachability in their life, don't they? Come on, I'm sure every one of us can think of someone, can't we, this weekend, who we know in our life who reached a certain level, they reached a certain status, they reached a certain, certain place in their life, but they reached a, a certain moment, maybe it's a certain age, they reached this certain level in their life, and they ever so subtly just let off the gas of teachability. They let off the gas and they said, you know what? I'm good. It's good enough. It's far enough. It's successful enough. We can all think of someone, can't we? Who has let off the accelerator in their race. Who, when it comes to being teachable in their life, has said, that's far enough. And here's the thing. This is not an age thing, although it can be. Because I I can think of people who are 85 years old who are, are the most inquisitive, curious, teachable people I know. Like, and to be around them, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, it's incredible to see the 85-year-old people who are, who are just hungry to learn and hungry to get better and hungry to pr- uh, progress and become more in their life. And I've known 35-year-old people who, have, who, have, who are stuck, who have turned off their teachability and said, you know what, I'm not going to go any further. I've learned enough. I know enough. I'm good. I'm successful. I got it. And don't we all know people like that? And here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that the people who have let off the accelerator of teachability in their life versus the people who have stayed on the accelerator in their life, isn't it true that the people we want to hang around and the people we want to be like are the ones who have not let off the accelerator but have actually stayed on the accelerator, kept their finger on the trigger, their foot on the gas, concerning living a lifestyle of teachability, being a lifelong teachable person. And see, here's the thing. As I start thinking about leaders through history and then leaders through the pages of the Bible, 
who possessed this idea, this, this mindset of lifelong teachability, my mind instantly runs to one person who was actually responsible for writing two-thirds of the entire New Testament of the Bible, and his name was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known, and inside some of his writings, he actually reveals to us how he wrestled with this this tension between being successful and accomplishing a lot and and being tempted to let off the accelerator. Matter of fact, I want you to see it. So uh, if you have your Bible, if you have a smartphone or a tablet device with the Next Level Church app or with the Bible app on it, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 is where I want us to land this weekend because I want us to look at some of Paul's writings, the Apostle Paul's writings, where he actually, we get to go inside his heart and his mind concerning this idea of being a lifelong teachable person. This is fascinating. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. The apostle Paul's writing and he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. In other words, if you want to talk about being confident in yourself, being successful, he's like, I'm the man. He goes on. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, guess what? I have more. He's like, I, I can win this game all day long. Verse five, then he starts to talk about and unpack some of these accomplishments, some of these, these you know, pillars of success that the great apostle Paul has achieved. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he's basically saying, listen, before I even knew there were rules to follow, my parents were making me follow the rules. Like, like I'm that good, that this predates my own consciousness. That's what he's, he's referring to. He says, of the people of Israel. In other words, I come from the right stock. He goes on, of the tribe of Benjamin. My family name is solid. I am from the right tribe of people. I, I grew up on the right side of the tracks. I am from the right family. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. In other words, he says, I went to Harvard Law, baby. I graduated top of my class. You want to go toe-to-toe? You want to compare degrees? You want to compare experience? I got you. I win that game every time. If anybody could have been tempted to give up lifelong teachability in his life, it was Paul. Verse 6, as for zeal, you want to talk about passion and getting excited? Persecuting the church. He's like, I beat them all up. I killed Christians. I was that passionate about what I believed. If they didn't believe what I believed, I killed them. He was passionate. As for righteousness based on the law, look at this word, faultless. I got you. Faultless, Paul says. I was and am the man. But then look at the word right after faultless. This is crazy, isn't it? But. Here's Paul saying, listen, if anybody had a reason to let off the accelerator concerning teachability, it was me because I've accomplished all of these things. I'm standing on the top of the mountain, baby. But look what he says. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, when I came into a real life relationship with Jesus Christ and he began to change my heart and change my mind and change my life, what I realized was I can never let off the gas of teachability in my life. Why? Because God's whole goal, his whole mission in life is to make us more like Jesus Christ. And so we will never attain to that. We will never arrive at that, Paul says. He goes on, verse eight. What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing 
worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In other words, he says, listen, I'm willing to count all of those things as loss. Why? So that I can maintain my teachability so I can become more like God wants me to become. I can reach my full potential. I can become like Jesus Christ. He goes on. I consider them, look at this word, garbage. Garbage, trash, rubbish. That I may gain Christ. Paul says, here's what I've come to realize. When it comes to lifelong teachability in my life, I have learned that God wants me to keep going, to keep learning, to keep growing so that I can become more like Jesus Christ. And next level church, listen, what is true for the Apostle Paul 2,000 whatever years ago is true for us today. We can never let off the accelerator in terms of of developing lifelong teachability in our life. Why? Because that's the only way for us to reach our full God-given potential that we were created for. If anybody could have coasted, if anybody could have shifted into neutral, if anybody could have let off the accelerator, it was Paul. But he didn't do that. And so what I love is in verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a look inside. And he, in those three verses, we find five principles of lifelong teachability from the life of the Apostle Paul. Five principles. Matter of fact, when you came into whatever service you're in this weekend, you were handed a bulletin. Go ahead and pull that out. Inside of there's a slip of paper with some fill in the blanks so you can follow along with my train of thought. I would love for you to write down these five principles that we learn from the Apostle Paul concerning lifelong teachability in our life. Here's the first one. Well, let me, before we do that, let me read verse 12. Let's read it all at once. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained of all this, or I'm already perfect, or the word there, perfect, actually means mature, like that I've arrived. But, he says, I press on to make it my own. In other words, to, to keep growing. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Because of what Jesus did for me, I can't stop being teachable. I can't stop being open. I can't stop growing and learning more about Christ so that I can become more like him. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I press on toward the goal. And hidden inside of these three verses, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 14, are five lifelong principles that Paul gives us concerning developing lifelong teachability in our lives. Let's look at those. Here's the first one I want to point out. Number one is Paul refused to see finish lines, only mile markers. Paul refused to see finish lines Only mile markers. Verse 12, he said, not that I have already attained. See, Paul never let himself have an arrival mindset. No matter how successful he became or how many accomplishments he gained, Paul never saw those as finish lines. He simply saw his accomplishments, his successes as mile markers. And see, here's the thing. Every parent, come on, you guys know this this weekend. Every parent knows that if, if you tell your kids that mile markers are actually finish lines, you are in for a really, really, really bad trip. I know when my kids were young, uh, you know, we used to count mile markers. And even when I was a kid, I remember my parents, we did a lot of traveling in my childhood. And my parents, you know, I, I would sit in the back of the car or whatever, and I would look out the window and I'd see the mile markers. And because I love baseball, every time I'd see whatever mile marker number it was, I would try and think of a famous player who wore that jersey number. 
So I'm like, Myron Marker 12, oh, okay, that's so-and-so, that's, you know, whatever. And I try and think of it, it was a crazy game, but it kept me occupied, right? But watch this. Do you know how disappointed and upset our kids would be if we told them that mile markers were finish lines? That if we had to go to, say, mile marker 250, but on mile marker 100, we're like, when we get to 100, it's going to be awesome. And our kids get all excited, 86, 87, 93, 94, 98, 99. And then we hit mile marker 100, like, we're at 100. Woo! And then we just keep going. Our kids would start to get frustrated, right? If we're like, hey, it's but if we can get to 125, and then there's no payoff, and then there's no resolve, right? Talk about a horrible way to have a road trip. That'd be awful. Why? Because when we set up mile markers as finish lines, it always leads to disappointment. So watch this. Is it possible this weekend that some of us have set up mile markers in our mind, but we call them finish lines? And we can't seem to figure out why we're living in a perpetual state of disappointment. Why we're living in a perpetual state of, 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 of discouragement and frustration and, 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 and even anger. Is it possible we've made some mile markers in our life actually to convince ourselves we tried to make them finish lines? Well, you know, when, when we get that new house, then I'll be happy. We get, when, when he gets that promotion and that pay raise, then when, when I get accepted to college, when I go to college, well, when that girl says yes, when the pregnancy test comes back positive, then... Is it possible that some of us are living in a perpetual state of frustration in our life because we have convinced ourselves that mile markers are actually finish lines? Watch this. Anywhere in our life where we are living by when I, then I statements, we're setting ourselves up for frustration and discouragement. When I this, then I'll this. When I, then I. When I, then I. When I, then I. Anywhere there is a when I, then I statement, either consciously or unconsciously in our life, we're always setting ourselves up for frustration and disappointment. Why? Because we have made mile markers finish lines. And one of the things that's so great about the life and the example of the Apostle Paul is that he said, not that I've already attained. In other words, I'm not ever going to look at the mile markers of my life as finish lines. There's only one finish line, and that is the day I die and go to heaven. He was so clear about that. Here's the second thing I love about the Apostle Paul. He never stopped to believe that there was more in him and for him. The Apostle Paul always believed that there was more in him and God had more for him. Verse 12, he said, I press on. I press on. I got to keep going. Watch this. A huge piece of developing lifelong teachability in our life is believing that there's more potential inside of us. So last Sunday night, I, uh, I, I did a radio interview with the largest Christian radio station in America. It's in Houston, Texas. There are 650,000 listeners. Wow. And so Sunday night, they said, it's a live show. We want you to call in. And the host, her name is Kim, she wants to interview you for like 45 minutes. I'm like, great. So I came over to the office on Sunday night. I'm sitting there at my desk. I'm on the phone. I'm waiting for this, this interview, you know. And so uh, we're talking about my book, and she's all into it. It was great. It was a great inter- interview. She's a great interviewer. But at one point, she said, as she was trying to kind of digest and figure out and unlock this idea of teachability for her listeners, she goes, Matt, oftentimes, you know, I, I, just, I will tell people that, you know, every single person is like a big pot. 
Well, the minute she said pot, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this interview just took a weird turn in a direction I'm not sure I'm ready to discuss and argue about right now. But she wasn't talking about that kind of pot. She was talking about where it's, the Bible says that we are jar, jars of clay, that we are earthen vessels, that we are, we are pots of clay that God puts his spirit in. And she said, here's the thing. Most people look at successful people and they think they were born with a full pot. She said, but the truth is none of us are born with a full pot. And then in brilliant teachability fashion, like I could have only set up, she says, it's only as we develop a lifestyle of teachability and stay teachable in our life that we keep filling up our pot and becoming more. And I was like, amen, sister. I couldn't have wrote it better myself. Like, that was awesome. It was great. But see, watch this. The apostle Paul never let himself see himself as a full pot. He always said, listen, there's more room to grow. There's more room to increase. There's more room to learn. I have to be a lifelong teachable person in order to become everything God's made me for. He said, I press on. So next level, come on, let me challenge you this weekend. How do you see yourself? How do you see your vessel, your clay pot, your jar of clay? Are you full? Are you almost full? Or are you just perpetually just... God, fill me up, fill me up. God, I'm just empty. I just, I want to learn more, learn more. Mercies are new every morning, God. Just pour more into me, more into me, more into me. How do we see ourselves? Watch this, because how we see ourselves in terms of full or empty has a huge, huge factor, plays a huge role in, in lifelong teachability and us reaching our full potential that God created us for. And Paul got that. He said, I press on. Here's the third thing I want us to notice about lifelong teachability from the apostle Paul. Number three, he didn't put much stock in his past successes. Paul didn't put much stock in his past successes. Verse 13, he says, forgetting what is behind. Paul never let himself get stuck living in past glory or accomplishments. And listen, if you and I are going to to develop lifelong teachability in our life, then we cannot live in the past Ever known somebody who lives in the past? Okay, I saw the greatest picture online this week of, of, do you remember Uncle Rico from the Napoleon Dynamite? Okay, well, it turns out the Dallas Cowboys main quarterback, Tony Romo, is hurt. And so I saw this little caption that said, finally, the Dallas Cowboys drafted somebody. Remember this guy? But see, I think we have, there he is. Remember Uncle Rico? Good news, Cowboy fans. You finally got your quarterback right there. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, do you remember the scene? It was in 2004. The, the movie Napoleon Dynamite came out, right? Do you remember the scene? He's sitting there on the porch, and he looks over at Kip, and he says, back in 82, I could throw the pigskin a quarter mile. Remember that? Talk about a guy who was living in the past, living in his past glory. If a coach would only put me in, we'd have won the state championship. And I think he said something to the effect of, and I would be in a hot tub right now with my soulmate in a mansion. No, you wouldn't, bro. You're Rico. You're not going to be in a hot tub. You're not going to live in a mansion. Ever know anybody who lives in the past? who's always just reflecting back on the best days, the glory days are back there somewhere. Paul didn't do that. He never let himself do that. He said, forgetting what is behind. Failures and successes. Forgetting what is behind. I press on, he says. Forgetting what is behind. So what do we do? What do we do with past successes? Because are you saying that all success in our life is bad and we should just throw it? No, 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 watch this. 
I think it's important for us, when we experience success in our life, to, to embrace it, to live in that moment, but then keep it in its proper perspective. Because success isn't bad, it's just not forever. So three quick tips, ready? Here you go. Uh, uh, concerning what do we do with past successes, the first thing I would say is celebrate them. I remember reading John Maxwell, uh, the leadership expert, uh, a long time ago, and he, he said this forever in a lot of books. He basically said, give it the 24-hour rule. That whenever something good happens in your life and you experience some kind of success you know, in your life, for 24 hours, celebrate. Bake a cake, high-five each other, throw a party, do whatever, tell the stories, like celebrate like crazy. But then after 24 hours, keep moving. Get moving again. Like don't, like, don't live in that too long. Like, like, do what you can. So the first thing I would say is celebrate it. Number two, I would say glean as many lessons from it as you can. That success has the ability to, to show us some things, to teach us some things. So, so when we experience successes in our life, don't just rush past them. Pause, celebrate, which is important and necessary. But then also look around and go, what are the things that worked? Why was that such a great success? What can we glean from that so that we make sure we do more of that in the future? But then the third thing I would say is keep moving. Keep moving. Celebrate it. Glean the lessons you can. And then when it comes to success in our life, keep moving. Put your head down again and go, okay, that was good, but I'm not going to put stock in that. I'm not, I'm not going to just dwell on that. I'm not just going to wake up every day, you know, cuddled up to the trophy. I'm just not going to do that. Keep moving. The Apostle Paul understood that, and he did that. He said, forgetting what is behind. Here's the fourth thing that the Apostle Paul did concerning lifelong teachability. He let the hope of the future compel him. He let the hope of the future compel him. Verse 13, he says, straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward to what lies ahead. He let the hope of the future compel him. He said, I am straining. I actually looked up that word in the original language that this, uh, that this book was written in, which is Greek. And the Greek word, I think we have it, we'll throw it on the screen, is, is the word, let's see if I can say this right, apectino. And if I got that wrong, you're good, relax. Let's say it's apectino, okay? Or epectino or epectino. 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 There you go. Emphasis on all four syllables. You're fine. Look what it says. Look what it says. Here's, here's, the, here's, what the, here's the Greek word. And remember, in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, it's all about word pictures, okay? So look at this. Epectino means stretching intensely forward. And, and the Greek word there, epectino, literally is this image of a runner in a race at the finish line throwing themselves forward. Matter of fact, look at, look at this image. I want you to see this image, okay? This is the idea in the Greek of what it means. It is getting to the finish line and throwing ourselves forward, doing everything within our power, straining, pushing ourselves forward. And that's what Paul did. No matter what happened in his life, he just kept stretching. He kept reaching forward. He kept striving. He kept throwing himself forward. Why? Because he wanted to become everything God had destined him to become. And Next Level Church, listen, we can never reach a place in our life in our career, in our marriage, in our family, in our relationships, in our finances, where we go, you know what, good enough. Where we plateau and just level off. We can never allow ourselves to reach that place. Man, I think about Next Level Church. This now 13 and a half years old. And I'm telling you, there have been a few different times in the life of our church where Sarah and I have looked on and we've said, you know what, we've worked hard to get here. We've reached this place, and it's good. It's successful. It's positive. Lives are being changed. And there have been a few strategic moments 
where she and I have had to look at one another and do a gut check and do a heart check, a soul check, where we've had to look at our church and say, you know what? We could let off the gas. We could let off the accelerator. We could just, just pause and go, you know what? I'm not, it's good enough. We're impacting enough lives. But we, like the Apostle Paul, every single time in leadership of this church that God has entrusted us to lead, we, every single time we come back to what Paul has come back to, which is the cross of Jesus Christ compels us. And so we cannot stop. We must reach out and reach more lost people. We must continue to create environments that people love so they can experience a loving God. We cannot let off the gas. Why? Because lost people are worth it. There are too many lost people in Southwest Florida and in our nation and around the world who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we push through, we endure, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and there's sacrifice, and it hurts, and it's painful. But it's always right. Why? Because we, like Paul, find ourselves in a place where we say the, the hope of the future, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, compels us to keep changing, compels us to keep rearranging, compels us to keep modifying and tweaking, compels us to keep taking risks. Why? Because we must... Because of the cross of Christ. So next level, listen, where have you gotten comfortable in your life? Where have you ever so subtly let off the accelerator button and said, you know what? It's good. It's good enough. It's enough. Paul said, no, 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 straining forward. Straining toward what is ahead. Number five, what can we learn about lifelong teachability from Paul? We can learn and see that he always kept his eyes on the prize. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Paul understood that there is a reward ahead that is based on faithfulness. And next level, listen, as we conclude this Key to Everything series this weekend about teachability, I, I want us to get this. That's why teachability matters so much in our life. Because the Apostle Paul understood that, that we have to be as teachable as we can, as much as we can for as long as we can, because this life is not all there is. The Bible makes it clear that every single one of us will spend eternity somewhere. That eternity is real. And the Bible makes it clear that each and every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. And the Bible makes it clear that for those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that there is a reward in eternity, in heaven, based on our faithfulness, to use what we've been given and entrusted with here on this earth for him. So, as we conclude this series, I want to ask us a couple of questions. The question is, the first question I want to ask us is, have, have you ever thought about the fact that when this race is over, what if it's not really over? What if there really is an eternity? What if the Bible is right? when it says it's appointed for man once to die. In other words, that 100% of people who live die. 
Like it's like that's a surefire statistic. 100% of people who've ever lived on the earth die. It's just it's just a fact. But what if when this race that we're all racing is over, what if that's not really the end? What if it's true that every one of us will spend eternity somewhere? So my question to you would be, do you know where you'll spend eternity? If not, good news. Good news. The Bible says that it's, that it's not about our good works. It's not about measuring up and hopefully the good stuff we did is better and outweighs the bad stuff we did and hopefully we get lucky and hopefully God's in a good mood when we get there. No, 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 no. The Bible makes it clear. It's not about that. The Bible makes it clear that it is about uh, uh, what we have decided concerning Jesus Christ. Who do we believe he is? And what do we believe about what he did for us? See, the Bible tells us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross so that you and I could have an assurance that when we die, when our race here is over, that heaven will be our home. See, there's only two options. Either we'll spend eternity with God or we'll spend eternity separated from God. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be assured that we will spend eternity with God. But the second question I want to ask us this weekend is, what about the reward? See, the Apostle Paul lived his life knowing this race is not all there is. That what looks like a finish line on earth is actually a starting line in heaven. And that you and I will be rewarded based on our faithfulness of what we did with our time, with our talents, with our treasures, with our resources, with our finances, with our, with our thoughts, with our ideas, with, with our gifts. We will be rewarded in heaven based on our faithfulness of how we develop those and use those to serve others for God's glory here on earth. So two questions. Do you know where your eternity lies? And question number two, how are you doing in terms of laying up rewards for heaven? How do you need to embrace a lifestyle of teachability now so you can grow and become everything God created you to be so you'll have a reward then? Can we bow our heads? Come on, whatever service you're in right now. And I'm gonna invite our campus pastors in each of our services to just join me on stage right now. And for the privacy of this moment, I'm going to ask nobody's moving around or talking. And just, just, this is just be still, just for a moment, every head bowed. If you've gathered into one of our services this weekend and you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, trusted him as your savior to forgive your sin, come into your life and give you an assurance of heaven when you die, I want to I help you do that. You can do that right now. So here's what I'm going to do with your campus pastors on our stage with me right now. I, I'm going to count to three. And if that's your desire, would you simply slip your hand up? Now, we're not going to embarrass you or call you out or do anything spooky, hooky, or weird. That's not our style. We just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. So come on, let's do that all over this place, every, every environment that we've created. One, two, three. Awesome. Wow. Come on. Wow. So awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you, God, for a desire to put our faith in you. To put our faith, you can put your hands down. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us today. And Father, I pray for every single person who has lifted their hand this weekend. God, this is a weekend of salvation. Lord, you've made yourself real to us. And today, we just, by lifting our hand, we just acknowledge that we're a sinner. 
that we've missed the mark, that we've, we've messed up. And God, we just acknowledge that we're imperfect, that we're sinful beings, and we ask you to forgive us. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sin and then come into our life. Lord, we give you permission to be number one in our life. We want to serve you. We want to follow you for the rest of our life. And so, Lord, we accept you now into our heart. We say yes to a relationship with you today. Jesus, forgive us of our sin. Be our Lord while we live on this earth. And then, Jesus, thank you for the assurance you give us that heaven is our home now when we die. And then, Father, I pray for every one of us who have gathered in one of these places. I pray for those who are participating online. And, Jesus, I pray that you would make us lifelong teachability people. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to keep growing and staying open, that we might become more of who you have created and called us to be. Jesus, thank you for a concept like teachability that is the key to everything. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that one day when the race on this earth is over and we begin the next race, in heaven and eternity with you, you would find us faithful. God, that's who we want to be. That's the life we want to live. That's what we want to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In everybody and every service who agreed said, amen. If your life has been impacted through this ministry, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email to mystory@nextlevelchurch.com. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. Also, if you want to support what God is doing here, you can do so through our website, nextlevelchurch.com, and help us bring you more messages just like this one every single week. Your generosity is making an impact here and around the world. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.